everybody, and welcome to the Maroon Weekly. This is the weekly for eighth week coming up, recording on Sunday, February 23rd. And joining me today, we have... Ram. Joanna. Matthew. And Isaac. And I'm Ruth. So to start us off today, I thought that Matthew could tell us a little bit about the director of the SCS discussion about mental health concerns and services on campus. Sure. Recently, the director of Student Counseling Service, Mita Kumar, spoke about mental health concerns on campus and the services that SCS offers to help address them. Kumar joined SCS in September of 2019, and prior to that, she was the deputy executive director of Counseling and Psychological Services at UPenn. The main concerns that she wishes to address moving forward are the variety of sources of stress that college students can have. Some of these that she uh, talks about are coming to college for the first time, adjusting to the college life, leaving home, exploring your identity, growing up, finding career paths, and then more per grade level concerns. She says that much of SES's programming aims to address and reduce stigmas concerning mental health and getting help for it. She feels that with time and with the continuation of these programs, more students will feel more comfortable to seek out many of the SES's current running programs. So what are some of these programs? A lot of these programs include support groups that cover a wide range of topics, like the Acceptance and Commitment Therapy for Anxiety and Women's Sexual Assault Group, the Academic Skills Assessment Group, which encourages students who might be experiencing academic challenges to explore some different study habits and how that intersects with their mental health, and then also weekly drop-in workshops where students can learn uh, varying coping strategies and stress management skills. These are the programs that she feels will be most beneficial to students hoping to dip their toe into the student counseling service waters. Up next, I'm going to tell you a little bit about an update to Charles Thomas's case and the struggles that his parents have been facing as they battle the case in court. In an article by Jack Cruz Alvarez, the Maroon took a closer look this week at Charles Thomas's continuing case. In April of 2018, Charles Thomas, who was a fourth year at the time, was shot by a UCPD officer during a mental health episode. His parents believed that this episode was brought on by his bipolar disorder. On the night of the incident, Thomas was found in an alleyway in Hyde Park, smashing windows with a metal pole. Footage from the UCPD officer's body cam shows Thomas running in the direction of the officer before he was shot. Thomas was then placed under house arrest and charged with three felony counts of aggravated assault of a police officer and five felony counts of criminal damage of property. After escaping house arrest during another mental health episode, he went missing for two weeks in September of 2019 and was eventually found in a cornfield in Indiana. Since then, he's been awaiting trial in Cook County Jail. Thomas's parents have faced a variety of hardships in the wake of this case, both financial and emotional. As they await a resolution to the case, they've begun the process of relocating to Chicago to be closer to their son. Thomas's parents also are concerned about the quality of mental health treatment available in jail. His mother, Kathy, has expressed that the jail does a good job of ensuring that inmates take their medication and provides group therapy sessions, but it fails to provide fresh fruits and vegetables or opportunities for exercise, which she considers all major shortcomings for inmates, especially with bipolar disorder. Kathy's concern for Thomas's mental health has remained throughout his time as a college student. Both of his parents encouraged him to get help from student services if he felt symptoms coming on during his time at the university. He did reach out to SES before April following what he thought was an anxiety attack, but he was told that he could not be treated on campus and was given a list of off-campus resources. His parents were not notified of the anxiety attack until some of his friends told them after the shooting. 
Both of Thomas's parents have expressed criticism regarding how the situation was handled by the university and the police. Kathy especially noted that the university did not communicate all of the details of the event in her initial call to the university and criticized the UCPD officers for not carrying tasers, instead pointing a gun at Thomas during his episode. UCPD officers began carrying tasers last August as part of an update to their safety policies. Thomas's parents now wait for their son's next hearing in March, after a series of delays. The slow movement of the case has made the process even harder on his parents. Kathy has also expressed that whether or not the university can contribute to getting her son's charges dropped, she would have appreciated other forms of support, such as letters of support from the dean or the president of the college. If Thomas can get released from prison, his parents hope to take him back to California and support him while he returns to school to finish his degree. For our next story, we turn to Isaac for an update about the Wellness Center timeline. Sure. So in an article written by Laura Gersony, despite the ongoing demands for the Wellness Center from student activists, the university's new health and wellness center is now projected to open in full in autumn of 2020 rather than in winter of 2021 as initially announced, so one quarter early. The Wellness Center, which will be located at the corner of 59th Street and Maryland Avenue, will jointly house SHS, the Student Counseling Service, SCS, and Health Promotion and Wellness in one location. These services are all currently located in different facilities across campus. The student activist group Fair Budget U Chicago, FBU, has pressured the advancement of construction via forum. They sought counseling services, increased student oversight in the new center, and expanded identity-based support groups. Even though the timeline has been accelerated, FBU's demands remain. In a comment to the Maroon, Since 2015, Student Counseling Services, SCS, has increased the number of clinical providers by 49%. The new Wellness Center will enable us to continue this trend by supporting increased flexibility in programming and staffing, both in type and quantity, with the goal of increasing access to care for students, the university spokesperson Gerald McSwiggin said. Referrals between SHS and SCS will be facilitated more easily because all the offerings will be under one roof, which will streamline the check-in process to speed up referrals. In addition to a meeting place for wellness activities, the university envisions including workspaces for students. Next, Ron has a story about the demands of counseling <clears throat> increasing and the result of that for students. Yeah, so in an article written by Emma Dyer, uh, the Maroon found that with the rising demand for mental health services, the university has directed more and more students to off-campus therapists, and those directed to outside providers exceeded 700 students in 2018, according to the former director of student counseling services, David Albert. In 2008, 16% of students made use of SES services, and in 2018, that number was 21.5%. The percentage of students being referred to outside providers also increased from 26% in 2016 to 38% in 2017. Albert suggested that the jump in outside referrals is due to SES's decision not to have a wait list amidst increasing demand for counseling services. What are some ways that SES could improve their services? So Albert suggested that hiring a case manager who can help students navigate through the referral process can help students lower risks associated with outside referrals. And in the 2018-2019 school year, the SES did hire two professional case managers, along with three clinical psychologists, one associate director for diversity and inclusion, one psychiatric nurse, a postdoctoral psychology trainee, and one administrative staffer. Albert also urges efforts to increase the usage of SES services, pointing particularly to students off campus who may not make full use of the counseling services that the university has to offer. 
So how does the new director improve SAS? Well, Matthew told us in uh, his report of some of the ways in which uh, the SES is changing now, but Albert's successor, Mita Kumar, has created many programs that Matthew told us about to address the most prominent student complaints, especially shortening wait times. Um, the SES has also introduced a 24-7 call line where students can directly speak with the mental health clinician. And there have also been efforts to advertise services on the SES YouTube channel, which I did not know existed until I read the story. <laughs> and a new health and wellness center is set to open in the fall, but many feel that it's simply a symbolic gesture that won't actually address the stress culture that is at the root of mental health problems at the university. Turning now to politics, Joanna has some stories about Elizabeth Warren and electability. Yes, in the political sphere, Elizabeth Warren had made persistence a selling point of her campaign, underscoring her steep trajectory starting from being a single mother who dropped out of community college to becoming a Harvard professor and a senator. But her presidential campaign might now be faced with its most difficult test yet, recovering after underwhelming showings in Iowa and New Hampshire. Warren top polls in Iowa for much of the fall and she was widely regarded as having the best field organization in the state, but her fellow progressive candidate Bernie Sanders received 12 of the 41 pledged delegates available, compared to Warren's eight. However, the disparity between Warren's projected and actual performance remains, and observers at UChicago who campaigned for her are trying to make sense of her recent loss of momentum. Audrey Glaser, a master's student and organizer for Warren said that voters had a wide range of reasons for which they were hesitant to go all in for Warren. Her progressive politics, preferring another candidate, or sheer indecision. But many responses trace back to an idea that has been haunting the senator's campaign since its genesis, the E-word, which is electability. She said that people feel a lot of responsibility to pick the strongest candidate against Trump and the Republican machine. Some of that has to do with her being a little left of the rest of the field, and some of that has to do with her being a woman. In our interview about the discussion around electability, Linda Zarelli, professor of political science and gender and sexuality studies, said that Warren has been hurt by the gendered aspect of electability, and that voters should be mindful of the double standard based on categories such as a candidate's gender or race. And finally, we turn back to Isaac for a story about a sun-photographing telescope. Sure. So, in an article written by Peyton Jefferson, according to a UChicago researcher, the newly operational Daniel K. Nuye Solar Telescope on Hawaii's Haleakala Mountain might help save the world from the sun's solar flares. Last month, the telescope, which was planned by a committee headed by University of Chicago solar scientist Professor Emeritus Eugene Parker, revealed the world's most detailed, high-resolution images on the sun's surface. This telescope's ability to take coronagraph photos, pics very close to the sun, is unique and will help map the magnetic fields within the sun's corona, the space where solar eruptions occur. The Nuiye telescope is the largest, most powerful solar telescope in the world. Its first solar images were taken in late 2019. Solar flares do two things. The first is that these energy particles carried by the solar wind can hit satellites, severely damaging them. There are enormous amounts of mass in these particles, theoretical physicist and UChicago professor of astrophysics Robert Rostner said. When they hit satellites, they can destroy them. Typically, the satellites we rely on, for example, geostationary satellites, are outside the magnetosphere, which is the protective shield around the Earth. They're completely naked in a sense, and useless until we do something, they will get destroyed. That's one thing that can happen. 
The second has just as much of a negative impact. According to Rossner again, the other thing that can happen is that all of the mass hits the magnetosphere, and the entire magnetosphere sort of shakes. That induces currents on the surface of the Earth, in particular, the electric grids. These currents basically destroy the grid. And again, according to Rossner, the idea is to combine this telescope's coronagraph images with pictures taken in the article. So what we'd love to do is observe an event to make connection directly, observationally, and then theorists like me can get busy and build models for this. Once we have this information, then we can start working on the theory of trying to predict. All right. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. I've been Ruth. I'm Isaac. I'm Ron. I'm Joanna. I'm Matthew. And that's it for news this week. Thank you to Aaron Sendon, Andrew Dietz, and Kenny Tablet-Vega for the music, and the Logan Cage staff for the audio recording equipment and location. We'll see you next week.